Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. We have been in a series entitled The Challenge of a Biblical Worldview, and there are certain subsections. We've been in a three-part subsection that we're going to complete here today. The challenge of biblical worldview. Why? Because um, recent studies have shown that uh, in America, 51% of Americans um, uh, confess or say that they are Christians, identify as Christian. But only 6% have a biblical worldview. What that means is that there are those claiming to be Christians who don't believe the, the, the Bible is the Word of God or, or believe in reincarnation or believe in many gods. There's a lot of different elements that they integrate or, or mix in with their Christianity. And so we've been discussing what does it mean to have a biblical, not just a Christian worldview, but a biblical worldview. Um, We began this subset uh, two weeks ago with what does it mean to be human? Because the challenge in our society today and the question before us is just that. What does it mean to be human? If we are the highest of the evolutionary chain and we're constantly evolving and developing and and growing better and brighter and wiser um, and there is no creator, then we owe no one nothing. Okay, we don't owe one another, we don't owe God, we don't owe anybody. We, we're just our own creatures and we can redefine ourselves however we want to do that if we're just this random collection of molecules. If, however, we are um, individuals made in the image of God, if we are created by God, if we have a creator, then that changes everything. Then, then we need to look to him as to how we are created, as to how we can best live that life out And then what it means to be human is to have someone who loves and cares for us and and who we do have a responsibility for and to in that regards. Um, We have been using as our text for these three subsections then Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, 27. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Notice it's them, not him. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds, the heavens, livestock, everything that creeps. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, a binary world of male and female. Um, In his own image, the Latin phrase is imago Dei, the image of God. This is an extremely important element. This changed everything. Man intrinsically has value. Men and women intrinsically have value as being equally made in the image of God. This is critical. This means even people we disagree with, even those who would be staunch opponents or or enemies in one way or another, we still need to recognize that they are individuals made in the image of God, made for eternity, and as such deserve our respect and our regard, not our affirmation, not our agreement always, but a respect in regards to that. It was one of the most mind-changing, culture-changing concepts to ever come about in humanity to realize that this is intrinsic. It's not linked to our work, our looks, or any other feature. It's just strictly that. 
Last week we talked about what it meant to be a man or just to be a man and the idea that gender is binary in, uh, um, uh, in the scripture. Um, there's not a space for a spectrum as is being provided for in our world here today. Um, even Noah takes people, or takes the creatures, all creatures, two by two, even creation as a whole goes to this binary code. This again is a, where we deal with people who disagree respectfully but still hold to that truth that is there. We find that that's not just an Old Testament concept, though it is rooted in the foundation of the world, but even in the New Testament we find it reaffirmed by Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 and 4, where he's being challenged about the issue of divorce and the questions about that. And he goes back to the roots of things. The Pharisees came to him, tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce for any cause? Have you not read, he said, don't you guys know? You're supposed to be the educators of Israel. Don't you know? He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. So as we walk into this last of this subset, last week to be a man, today to be a woman, because as I said, I know so much about this subject. This is possibly and potentially the most deadly, deadly and dangerous conversation I will have ever held because of that. I actually had a number of our women who were prepared to speak to this issue, um, but because of other cultural issues that touched upon, I did not want to expose them to some of the attacks that can often come with that. And so this is what we're going to walk through here today. Before we get into that, um, here's part of this conversation today. Up until now, and even part of this conversation, we've been talking about those things are, that are a biblical worldview, a way through which we can see, make sense, understand, and live within our, our world. The same thing's being offered here today. And the short form of that could be that men and women are different, but equal. That is just a flat-out biblical worldview right there. But I want to take you a little deeper into how that can act out. And in doing that, there will be two different trends or directions that you can take with this, both of which have an argument for biblicalness. And yet people can fight over these two different views. And there doesn't be a, need to be a conflict between that. But I want to offer both of those as well as where we stand as a church, and then you can decide for yourself as you walk through how this is. To set this in motion, though, I wanted to offer to you a, a brief audio clip from a comedian named Emo Phillips. And Emo offers a thought here that I think is important for us to keep in our mind as we go forward. So hopefully you can hear. And here's the setup for this. He's, he's uh, in San Francisco. He's going across the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. And he sees a man getting ready to jump off and commit suicide. And as this man's about to commit suicide, Emo engages him in conversation. And this is part of that conversation. He said, I used to believe in God. I said, that's good. Were you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What franchise? <laughs> he says, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He says, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He says, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist or Northern Conservative Reform Baptist? He says, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist
is the Eastern region. He says, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region, Council of 1879. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region, Council of 1912. He says, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region, Council of 1912. I said, die, a heretic. And I pushed him over. If you're able to track that, they were on the same page up to that last moment. And then he decides he's a heretic and pushes him off the bridge and lets him die. In the same way, we can have an agreement on a whole plethora of items as Christians and then find one point that we're prepared to kill somebody else over. And that's just not the way it's supposed to operate. So I ask you to keep that in mind um, if at any point in this conversation you decide that you want to kill me, okay? Um, As we're getting into this here today... um, I want to read you a few things. As I said, there were some women uh, that I had, but I, I do have someone who I don't know. I'm familiar with her work. Eleanor Burkett is a journalist, a former professor of women's studies, an Oscar-winning documentary filmmaker, and uh, probably not one person I, a person I agree with on a lot of things, I doubt that as a Christian, but um, wrote an article in response to Bruce Jenner's transition uh, entitled, What Makes a Woman? And it's just an excerpt from it. She's saying their, meaning Bruce and other ones, their female identities are not my female identity. They haven't traveled through the world as women and been shaped by all that this entails. They haven't suffered through business meetings with men talking to their breasts. They haven't had to cope with the onset of their periods in the middle of a crowded subway, the humiliation of discovering that their male work partner's checks were far larger than theirs, or the fear of being too weak to ward off rapists. rather. Um, she is one who would be referred to probably as a TERF, a new uh, term of uh, derision, a trans-exclusionary radical feminist, someone who was just saying that, look, at just changing physical aspects does not make what a woman is fully or recognize all the things that come into that. I'm not trying to engage on that conversation here today, but it draws to the point that there's something unique within men and women, and particularly with women, that is different than men. Uh, Dr. Laura Schlesinger, in a book entitled The Proper Care and Feeding of Husbands, um, said, well, the fact is men and women are different physically, psychologically, motivationally, and temperamentally. Anyone who has had exposure to babies and children can tell you that boys and girls respond differently to the world right from the start. You have both a doll, you have both of them a doll, and the girl will cuddle it while the boy will more likely use it as a projectile or weapon. Give them two dolls, and the girl will have the dolls talking to each other while the boy will have them engaged in combat. That is true. I remember growing up, I was never permitted to have guns. Just was not something I was permitted to have. But every stick I picked up became one, and we created things that way. Um, there are a lot of differences between men and women. There is, interestingly, from one study at least, something that they have in common. Um, the common complaints that men have about women and vice versa from University of Louisville psychologist Michael Cunningham did this very extensive study of the most common complaints that women and men have against each other. Most common complaints men have concerning women include this, the silent treatment, bringing up past transgressions, being too hot or too cold, being critical, and then finally being stubborn and refusing to give in. Most common complaints women have concerning men include forgetting important dates like birthdays or anniversaries, not working hard at his job, noisily burping or passing gas, (laughs) staring at other women, and then the fourth one, being stubborn and refusing to give in. 
It seems that men and women are alike, at least in that singular regard, that both of us are stubborn and don't want to give it in. Otherwise, there's many differences. Christianity's um, stance in regards to women who have historically been denigrated in almost every society or had a second class or lower status um, was nothing less than revolutionary with the advent of the gospel. Um, Historian Rodney Stark argues that one of the reasons why Christianity spread throughout the ancient world was due to this revolutionary new attitude towards women. He writes, quote, Recent objective evidence leaves no doubt that early Christian women did enjoy far greater equality with men than did their pagan and Jewish counterparts. A study of Christian burials in the catacombs under Rome based on 3,733 cases found that Christian women were nearly as likely as Christian men to be commemorated with lengthy inscriptions. This near equality in the commemoration of males and females is something that is peculiar to Christians and set them apart from the non-Christian populations of the city. This was true not only of adults, but also of children, as Christians lamented the loss of a daughter as much as that of a son, which was completely unusual um, for the groups of that time period who often actually would abort females um, rather than keep them because of the emphasis upon men. So Christianity has a unique element of expression where it came to women. And wherever Christianity is properly practiced, elevates and cherishes women and views them as partners. One of the early transcriptions of of the passage in Genesis that talks about suitable helper or, or like opposite means that, that basically, as a woman, you bring your, your strength to my weakness, and I bring my strength to your weakness, that there's something that complements that in a certain fashion. Now, there's a number of scriptures we're not going to go into today. In fact, a significant portion of the scriptures um, deal with wives or with mothers, Proverbs 31, passage in Ephesians, etc. We're at a time in this society where for the first time, starting a few years ago, for the first time ever in our society, there are more single women than married women, and that trend is continuing on, which means some women, by choice or for whatever purpose, will not marry. To define a woman strictly as a wife or a mother is a mistake as a result of that, but even before that just would be. There's something intrinsic as a woman that you have that while there's certain aspects of that are certainly expressed as a wife or as a mother, is not totally just that separate alone. There's something you as a woman. Now, the terms we're going to discuss here where we can start to have differing views is called egalitarianism and complementarianism. And I know that for some of you, I just crossed into the twilight zone. So uh, bear with me on this. With egalitarianism, this is basically a biblically-based belief that gender in and of of itself neither privileges nor curtails a believer's gifting or calling to any ministry in the church or home. It does not imply that women and men are identical or undifferentiated, but affirms that God designed men and women to complement and benefit one another. Now, the opposing view, or, or one that is the opposite to it, is complementarianism. And this is a view that holds that differing, often non-overlapping roles between men and women manifested in marriage, church leadership, and elsewhere are biblically required. 
Complementarianism is the belief that men were created for the headship role, women were created for the support role, and it's, it, it, those things are not supposed to change a whole lot in that. A biblical complementarian view, biblical one, does not promote the stereotype that wives are be homebound or powerless or ignored, nor does it mandate differences between men and women in areas such as politics or the workplace. Um, scripture supports every social and economic aspect of, of equality in that and treating men and women uh, the same. Forms of egalitarianism, that equality element, that obliterate all distinctions between the sexes, however, are not biblical. And so the biblical perspective is that there's an equality, but there's differences. But then how that kind of gets worked out down that is that there are some roles, complementarian, that were meant just to complement one another, which means that, that women shouldn't lead in the church, they shouldn't do other types of things, um, and, and men should hold those roles, whereas or egalitarianism would sit here and say, no, at the cross there's an equality, and uh, um, that means there's, there's all sorts of options that are available on this. Um, for me, uh, one of the key things is this probably. I've known a number of very strong women uh, throughout the years. I was mothered by one. I am married to one. Um, I have employed them and have partnered with them. I find that women, especially even strong women, all women, strong in whatever position or way they are, uh, bring something unique. And I have found great value in having women on uh, any of the teams that I've led or as partners. I've also found great value in having a number of men involved in those leaderships and in those teams as well, too. I have found problems with both men and women, but not as men or women, generally speaking, but as personalities. And oftentimes, um, I think some of the difficulties I've seen women sometimes is when they're striving to be a man. There's something unique about a woman and the way she expresses herself, even in leadership, that doesn't need to try to copy uh, some of the techniques or styles of a man in order to be successful. Um, unfortunately, we find that happening in our society today as women increasingly are trying to take on some of those same traits. And so we find now for the first time in this country a significant increase in violent crimes among women who are now starting to equal uh, what some of the men's violent crimes and other issues are to do. And I think taking some of the worst aspects of masculinity in the midst of that. For those who are in the complementarian camp um, firmly, what they will generally want to do is to draw from um, the original in the Old Testament and to take points that are legitimate, I think, as a consideration. Um, the serpent approaches Eve first, not Adam, kind of reversing God's order. Eve, Eve sins first, as is pointed out in the Old and New Testament. Adam sins very deliberately. He's the one that had the thing instruction given to him that he violates it. She had gotten it secondarily from him. And there are those that want to say he didn't fully clue her in, and maybe that's where it happened. Don't know. God speaks first to Adam as the head of the home. And then when there's the failure, God punishes Adam and Eve differently. Um, with Eve, it's more relationally in nature. With Adam, it's much more global in nature. And um, that's why Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says that sin entered the world through one man. It wasn't through a couple, through two people, nor through a woman. It entered through one man. Adam was held responsible for that sin. And so cooperation between the sexes was replaced with competition. And as one writer puts it, incidentally, this helps explain what it means to be men the head of your home. To be head means that the man bears personal responsibility and accountability for what happens in his family. It's not a statement about who makes all the decisions or who keeps the checkbook or who works outside the home and who doesn't. Those issues are best settled in the area of giftedness. 
And so that's one of the concepts that they'll argue is to say, okay, so there's such differences. Now, there's other passages that, that are also drawn into play. And um, as we get into this, we have to take a look at First Timothy. And I, I really didn't want to get into this passage because it can take us off on a left turn real fast, but we need to address it still. So one of the key passages, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. Paul's addressing his son in the faith, Timothy, and trying to give him direction. So, but notice the language here. And I, Paul says, want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing golden pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted, claim to, be devoted to God should make themselves attracted by the good things they do. And then this next one that's a real winner. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not. I, I don't. I don't let people, women, women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first, and he goes to really the, his theology here, and afterward he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. Okay, what the heck, all right? Women are going to get saved by having a baby. Um, but the, the text on this, if you look at it, is... A little difference. It says women will be saved through childhood. It's more the idea that women will be saved by the birth of the child in caps. Um, another version, the message spells it a little more clearly. On the other hand, her childbearing brought about salvation, reversing Eve. But this salvation only comes to those who are going to pursue in good and holiness. In other words, what there's being said with this is not, ladies, you have to have a baby and then you'll be saved. What it's saying is that, yes, Eve messed up in a certain way. But at the same time, there's a blessing that can only come through Eve. Ultimately, it's going to be Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and that comes only through childbearing and eventually bearing the child. Salvation's available for everyone who, in faith, love, and holiness, gather in all you know, that lean into that faith. And so it's lifting up the fact that, yes, there was an issue with women at first, but also blessing and, and ultimate salvation comes through women as well, too. Now, having touched with that one, let's go to the first part here. I want you to draw your attention as somewhat, at least, to some of the language that he's using here. He's not saying God is saying this. He's saying, I don't do this. I don't allow this. And there are those that want to say he's speaking personally and of his cultural references more than a directive for the entire church. That's a debate point that can be had. And we can have that debate, and it's a good debate, and we don't have to tell each other to die as heretics or shove each other off a bridge, Okay. So there's a disagreement that can be had by that. One of the things he's addressing here, too, is the idea of being quiet in the church. And people want to say, so that means women shouldn't take... No, he was addressing very probably a specific issue that was unique to Judaism in that the synagogue, when they would gather, the men would sit on one side and the women would sit on the other side, part of the segregation that was part of Judaism at that time period. The women were not educated as a general rule, certainly not in compared to the men. So now Paul's speaking, or the others are speaking, and they're offering these radical new concepts, and the ladies are sitting here to their husbands across the aisle trying to whisper ears quietly, maybe a little loudly, whatever. He goes, what are you saying, right? Hey, what is he saying? Well, that's crazy. What do you think, Fred? And yelling that across the aisle at him. And Paul's saying, hey, in the church, just be silent. Talk to your husbands afterwards. Address it later. But in the church, be quiet in this point in time. And so these tended to be more cultural issues would be the argument for those who are not going to accept a fully complementary side of view or perspective as a result of that. Now, the conflict or the opposite, if you will, of this, and an argument more made for 
the egalitarian perspective, is going to be found in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. It's one of my favorite passages for a number of reasons. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Bad actors want to take this passage and tell you that there's no gender issues. It's all a spectrum because there's no, no male and female. They are bad actors trying to distract you and, and, uh, and mess you up. That's not what that's addressing. What this, the key phrase in here is this, all one in Christ. It's not saying that there's no differences. It's saying, though, that in Christ there's a unity. Another passage that links with this is Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, that says that we put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, after the image of its creator. So we're being back to the image of God and the original intent. And here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. So a complementarian is going to sit here and say, look at from the original thing, it was to be this, this uh, um, complementary way, and that means there's some things men just don't do, and there's some things women just don't do. And, and then there's a breakdown after the fall of man, and instead of cooperation, there's competition. Egalitarians are going to want to say, yes, the original intent was such a, an association that that was permissing anything to be a part of things. And in the New Testament, it's renewed in a way and restored. And so in the image of its creator, we're being made together so that we can all have identity together. Everyone is now valued, but that means that potentially everything is available to anybody in the process. Now, the first thing you need to draw from this, and this is why I love this passage 328, Paul knew there was differences between Jews and Greek. Radical. It was a racial difference that went real bad. The Jews thought the Greeks were dogs. They literally called them that. They were just hostile. Slave and free. Obvious differences. Male and female. Obvious differences. But he's saying they're all one in Christ. This has to go with identity. And you need to hear this passage. This is why I love this passage so much. It's because what it's saying is that not that there's no differences between male and female, um, racial or anything else like that, but it's saying that if you are a follower of Christ, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are part of the church. And as part of the church and part of the body of Christ, that in that everyone is valued, everyone is equal. And in fact, here's the deal. Whatever identity you walked in with is not the same identity that you walk out with. If you came in with the identity of I'm a feminist or I'm a male that's so dominant in the character and nature or if you walked in with a racial trait that was hating one race or another or of a social or of anything else, if you walked in with that, that is not what you walk out with. There, that's okay. You can do amen. <laughs> we walk in with all these different identities, all these different tags. But when we accept Christ, we walk out with one identity that dominates all others. We are one in Christ. That means a person of a different color is my brother or sister in Christ. And even if they're not my brother and sister in Christ, they'll still be respected because they're made in the image of God. Amen. If it's a woman, I still respect and honor her. If it's someone of a different social class, whatever the case is, but especially in Christ, we're all that's our first identity. It doesn't eliminate those things. It doesn't mean we shouldn't deal with the racial differences in how someone has dealt with or, or how women have been dealt with or how men have been. But it means that our primary identity is Christ. And then from that, we can work that out together. But the key thing is we do it together. <sighs> I love that passage. It's a powerful passage of Scripture. 
that this is our first identity. And this egalitarian idea, this idea that, that there was such a, a oneness, that there was such a connectedness, there was such an equality before the cross, and especially for women, was a revolutionary thought in that time. Because the egalitarian idea that individuals in Christ, regardless of gender, race, or culture, or status, um, it, it's, it's in stark contrast to what was held not just by the Jews, but by the Greeks. And you may have heard this one, but maybe not the other. See, a a daily prayer of the male Jew, and especially the rabbis, went like this. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, who has created me. And then a series of dichotomies or or, um, uh, binaries. Made me human, not animal, thank God. Made me male, not female, thank God. Made me Jew. I didn't hear an amen on that one. Watch it, guys, okay? Um, (laughs) That made me Jew, and not Gentile, thank God. Circumcised and not uncircumcised, thank God. Free and not slave, thank God. This was the dominant mentality of the time. And the Greeks were similar to it. Socrates used to say that there were three blessings for what he was grateful to fortune. One, that I was born a human being and not an animal. Two, a man and not a woman. And then three, a Greek and not a barbarian. His cultural issues and prejudices come into play. So when Paul's coming along here, he's acknowledging the differences. But he's sitting here saying there's a unity. And that means that women get lifted up in a way they had never been lifted up prior to this time ever before. What this means is is this. From my perspective here as a church, we take an egalitarian view. And then we hedge a little complementarian just to be safe. No, we take an egalitarian view. I've had women on all the teams that I've led. I have, uh, we have, we've had women pastors here, though not in the lead role, but we've had women pastors. We've had women as elders and continue to have women in leadership. Um, we have women who have career tracks who are of significant heft and weight that are part of this community here that lead significant organizations. And we have women that have devoted their lives to their children and to their homes. And there's to be no putting down of one over the other. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, that goes like this. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. I think a woman has ability to do anything she wants according to this passage of Scripture and according to the ones we find in Galatians. That doesn't mean that she should do all those things. And what you should not do is be caught up with what your culture is trying to put upon you or direct or shape in you. What you should be doing instead is to be pursuing the things of God. There are differences between men and women. And those things are not defined as a woman by whether they bear children or not or whether they get married or not. There's a unique feminine trait that comes through women. There's a perception you guys have that we don't have as men There's certain instincts and and views. There's dealings and tolerances with pain and with temperature and all sorts of other things, psychological, physical, biological, all these other things that that without women in the mix, there's something that is so much emptier in the process. But the Westminster Confession that we talked about last week, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, to, to glorify God and to be in relationship forever. That is a capital M-A-N. It was not men, it was mankind. It involved men and women. And of men, the chief end is to worship God and pursue him. And that as a man, your best action of masculinity is to be a pursuer of God. 
then the best aspect of femininity and of feminism is to pursue the things of God. It's not to do what the culture's telling you. It's not to do what others have laid upon you, whether that is a father or a mother or a sister or a brother or a boss or a lay worker or co-worker. You are supposed to respond to God. And so here's the thing. You want to know your full femininity? You want to know what it means to be a woman? Pursue the one who created you to be that. And as you pursue the one who created you to be that, as you seek him in prayer, as you look for his purposes, then you're going to stumble across, I think, and find that, that anything is available to you. But not everything is going to be necessarily the right call. That anything is available to you. But not everything is necessarily going to be constructing. Now that's something that you can determine in relationship with God. This is a critical issue. And this is the source of how this is supposed to operate. I want to close with several quick passages of, of Scripture for ladies particularly. 1 Peter 3, chapter 3 and 4, verses 3 and 4 says this, Don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. Nowadays men are getting into this as much as women are. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. That there's something about what you establish inside that's more important than what happens outside. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Another passage says that basically the outward appearance, that's, that changes, it goes away fast. And then this passage, 1 Corinthians 11.12 for all of us. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. There is an interdependency. There is something about that interconnectedness. And while Adam may have been held responsible and has a certain role or responsibility of, of leadership that shouldn't be forgotten, it should never be at the expense of women. There's an interdependency. And as we approach communion here today, and that interdependency doesn't need to be marriage or, or anything of that nature, or boyfriend, girlfriend. It, it can still just come from good friends, from leaders, from coworkers, from fathers, all the rest. But as we prepare for communion, I bring you back to this Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male nor female. If you are all one in Christ. I've seen women try to act like men and it's, it's, it's often not a pretty sight. I've seen women who have been strong, powerful women in the home, in the workplace, in the marketplace and they've succeeded because of their femininity and and there's ways they can approach those things that I as a man can never approach it. It's different. It's unique. It's not worse or better. It's just different. It's unique. But male and female, we come together as one. Black and white, we come together as one. High class, low class, nationalities, whatever it is, we come together as one 
in Christ. This morning we're going to take of communion. And if you're a follower of Christ, we welcome you to join and be part of this. If you're not, and maybe this whole conversation today just completely has turned you off, I don't know what to say about that. We're kind of stuck with Scripture. Wherever you hover at that, if you haven't made that commitment, then fine, let this pass you by. But for those of us who have come to the cross with whatever identity we came with, we sit at the feet of that cross with the identity of all being one in Christ, recognizing differences, but being united. We just ask that you would hold it, and we'll take of it together. Um, Father, I pray as we come together at this point in time, and as we take us take a moment of what it means not just to be a woman, but still even for us men still to be a man, what our identity is to be human, created by you, and how we treat one another, and what things drive us. The Lord, we just take a moment as we receive this communion to lay those things at your feet and consider what you view to be right and good. In Jesus' name, amen. Some leaving thoughts here for you today. There's a a guy named Jerome, he translated the Bible into the Latin um, back in the uh, ancient times. He wrote a number of other books, and almost all of them he dedicated to various women. And he was criticized for that at that time, even by people who still felt he shouldn't be given that kind of attention. And he wrote this in response. He says, these people do not know that while Barak trembled, the war leader of Israel, Deborah, the prophet, saved Israel that Esther delivered from supreme peril the children of God. Is it not to women that our Lord appeared after his resurrection? Yes, and the men could then blush for not having sought what the women had found. Women, I say to you, whatever God is speaking to you and you are pursuing him, if expressed in your true femininity, that is something that you can take hold of. I leave you with this passage in Luke chapter 145, and blessed is she, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what God, of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Either way, men and women, we are stuck with each other. And we need to learn to respect and have a regard for each other and the uniqueness that that makes. And so, God, I pray your blessing upon us as your church. I pray that you help us to understand fully what it means to be a man, fully what it means to be a woman, and to have respect and regard for both, and respect for those who disagree. And I ask your blessing upon our oneness as a church. And I thank you for the grace that we find at your cross. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. And I'm going to ask all the women, if as loudly as you could please say amen. Amen. Men, it's our turn. Amen. Work on it. Uh, but we're all together now. So let us together say amen all. One, two, three. Amen. amen. God bless you and keep you. Amen.